Uh, let me pray real quick. Father, thank you so much for another opportunity to get into your word. We know your word transforms hearts. It is our authority. It is perfect. And Father, we just open up to it, Lord. Come inside of us. Divide our souls, Lord, with your sword. Show us where we're wrong and where you're right, Father. And all God's people said. So I am continuing the Child of God series. So I'm going to go over real quick, just recap, kind of show you where we're going. The first week, do you guys remember the authentic versus the imposter? Yep, living as an authentic person with Jesus. Number, the second week was the child versus Pharisee. You guys remember that? Living as a child of God versus someone's Pharisaical. Then Jerron crushed it with praying, right, as a child of God. And now this week, I'm going to talk about something that is somewhat difficult of a topic. Um, living as a chosen child of God. Do you realize you've been chosen by God? Now, I'll be honest, this script, these scriptures, and there's lots of them in the scripture, so I have, the, I have the tendency, like, when I get on a topic or, let's say, a doctrine of some kind, I obsess about it till I, like, understand all sides somewhat, and I, like, I get real bad. You can ask my wife. I'll be, like, up till midnight, like, reading through books and, like, buying them on Kindle so I can get them immediately and looking through and trying to figure out God, which is pretty funny. Like, have you ever attempted to figure out God? Slightly difficult, Right? There's a little nuance in there, but this is one of those topics that for years has like plagued my mind because I wanted to understand it perfectly. And the doctrine, you can call it the doctrine of election, um, whatever, there's a, there's a term, uh, soteriology, which is the doctrine of salvation, if you want to look that up. But I want to preface this whole message by saying there are many different theories of doctrine in what I'm about to talk about. But one of my favorite pastors told me this, sometimes the Bible makes me feel this way when I read scripture, and sometimes the Bible makes me feel that way. Um, let me give you an example. So in Philippians, it says, to work out your own salvation in fear and troubling. That's man's responsibility. But then it follows up right after that and says, so that God can work in you and through you. That's God's responsibility. See, with God, there's a tension in a lot of things. There's a tension of my responsibility and God's responsibility. But unfortunately, what we do is we tend to lean on our own responsibility. We think we have absolute control of everything. That's how we live our lives. But as a Christian, there's a peace in knowing that God is sovereign and God has ultimate control of everything. A Amen. So let's start off. I'm going to go to scripture. Everyone turn. You know what? By the way, I'm stealing Jerron's thing. We are going to do that from here forward. Everyone stand up. We're going to read the word. I loved it last week. I might make you stand up every time I read the word, so it's like this, all service long. <laughs> so, we're going to read Ephesians chapter 1, 3 through 6. And no, don't read it with me. I'm going to read it to you. It says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. You may be seated. So it says he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Now, the problem I want to present is that, like I said, 
We live as if we have ultimate control of everything. We live as if you guys one day decided on your own, I'm going to go passionately pursue Jesus. That's what you think happened. Right? A lot of us live that way. But in reality, you see, the Holy Spirit was doing a work on your heart and calling you to himself your whole life. Right? Little things. People would be put in your life. You'd see something on TV. God was always working in your heart, drawing you to himself. But we like to pretend that we were good in and of ourselves and that we went and chose Christ. Right? That is not reality. Reality is this. Now we're going to turn to Ephesians 2 real quick. Ephesians chapter 2. It says this, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. He's talking about us. Like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love, which with he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Pause. Even when we were dead, he made us alive. So when you were dead, did you decide you were going to be alive? No. When you were dead, God came in and he made you alive. By grace, you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And there it is. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. Pause. This is not your own doing. You were not good and decided to be a Christian. You were dead, and God decided you were going to be a Christian. For by grace you were saved, and this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. None of us, guys, none of us live up to the law. The goodness inside of us is Christ himself. It's the Holy Spirit working through us. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we might walk in them. Now, here's what we were doing. We were walking around dead. We were walking around. I want, here's the picture I want to paint. We were orphans. We were orphans that were dead in our sins. We didn't have love in our hearts. We followed the prince of the power of the air. We were addicted to sinning. We couldn't stop. The world and our fleshly, selfish desires is what drove everything that we did. Right? We're orphans. Now, I want you to imagine, you guys, I'm not going to use Annie I don't know why Annie just came in my head. You remember Annie was an orphan? <laughs> I don't know why that came in my head. I don't know if this illustration works. It just popped into my head. I'm going to use it. So Annie's desperate, right? Or you're, pretend you're desperate for someone to adopt you. You're homeless. You're miserable. You don't have a father and a mother to love you. Right? And then God comes in, right, and chooses you. He sees you, that you're dead. He has compassion on you. He moves in love towards you. And he adopts you. What's interesting, though, is that we have this perfect father, and we like still want to run away from him all the time. Right? So, I want to paint a picture of God's sovereignty for you guys. When I say sovereignty, I want you to understand what I mean is God is in absolute control of everything, He can do what He wants when He wants it. 
and that's hard for us. Here's an example of me personally. So I was at, whenever I prepare a message, I always drive around, and I'm constantly thinking about what I'm going to say. So all of these little life things that happen to me, I like to think about it illustration-wise. So this week, I'm sitting down, and I'm studying for this message, and I'm down at this spot that I've, like, pay a little small membership for so I can get, get out of the house so my kids aren't in my hair. And I'm down there reading a book, and I send a picture to my guy friends, and I'm like, oh, down here chilling or whatever. And one of my buddies is like, he's like, oh, must be, must be nice to be a man of God, right? So he gets a read or whatever, and he's joking. But what's fascinating is I thought about it, and I was like, man, it is nice that I get to do this, that I get to do what I love, that I get to study, that I get to prepare time in the Word. But I didn't choose this life for myself. If you would have asked me 10 years ago if I would be doing what I'm doing now, I would have laughed in your face. I hated the ministry. Hated the ministry. You can ask my dad. I begged my father to quit because y'all drove me crazy. (laughs) There's a lot of truth there. There is. It is such a thankless job. It is a difficult job. You're literally dealing with people's messes all the time. And everyone's judging you all the time. It's a great spot to be as a pastor. No, but I would beg dad, and mom would too. If mom's, I'm sorry, mama. She's listening. But mom was kind of with me. I mean, we were, there was a stretch where dad held through his faithful, which by the way, give it up for my dad because there's not a more faithful man. <laughs> where dad held through his faithful, and me and mom and our, our whole family was like, this is miserable. We're done. We want to walk away. We're sick and tired of this. But God called me. Here I am in the business world. <laughs> right. But here I am in the business world, right, doing all the things I think I need to be doing, like crushing it, making a lot of money, all this stuff, and the whole time I'm miserable. The whole time he's in the back of my head saying, I've got more for you. The whole time I'm thinking to myself, how am I changing or affecting the world in a positive way with what I'm doing? How does me making more money do any good for this world? What is the thing that I can offer people that's actually good for them? Fitness is great. Health is great. I worked at a pharmacy. It was great. That does things for people. But what lasts forever? The only thing that lasts forever is God's love. And so that is the thing, and that's the message that was always in my mind, and God's pulling me back. And he literally grabbed a hold of my heart and said, you're going to do this for me. And I've been working through that process for the last five years. But I didn't go out in my own flesh, in my own will, and say, you know what? I'm going to be a pastor. If anyone's been here for the whole five years that watched it happen... I got so passionate, I'm like, oh, I need, to, I need to teach a class. And I started these little foundation classes. You guys remember those? Like, I, I just wanted to, like, I was, it was passion. It was just pure passion. But it wasn't mustered up in myself. God did it in my heart and in my soul. That's his sovereignty at work. That's him calling me. That's him choosing me. If you're sitting in these seats, God is choosing you. You understand that? God's calling you to himself all the time. And listen, don't pretend that you stop running. Don't pretend that you don't still keep putting yourself as an orphan. I see it all the time. We leave here Sunday morning, we're focused on God, and we go right back to focusing so many times on worldly things that mean nothing when we can rest in the arms of our Father if we choose to. So it's funny, sovereignty is an interesting term, especially in our day and age, in our world. See, we're coming into a time where morality used to be found on something objective like the Bible. Right now, morality is all about how do you feel your own feelings, your own choices, right? We choose our own identities. If I decide that I'm attracted to a horse, (laughs) right? That's my feelings. Why are you guys laughing? (laughs) But this is the world we live in. We get to choose our own morality and our own identity. 
I, we, it's funny to me that people find identity in their sexual preference to begin with. You are so much bigger than that. Your identity is an image bearer of God. Your identity is not found in your sexual preference. That is so small. That is so small. So sovereignty goes against our current culture in choosing their identity in sex or their job or their life or how people perceive them. Right? God chooses, God put us here, and he gets to say who we are. And thank Jesus. You know what he says? You're a beloved child of God. That is so much deeper than you all realize. You know, we think we control everything around us. We think we choose our friends. We think we choose our careers. We think we choose so many different things. Let me read you a quote by C.S. Lewis about friendship. C.S. Lewis says this, In friendship, we think we have chosen our peers. In reality, a few years difference in the dates of our births, a few more miles between certain houses, the choice of one university instead of another, the accident of a topic being raised or not raised at a first meeting, any of these chances might have kept us apart. But for a Christian, there are, strictly speaking, no chances. A secret master of ceremonies has been at work. Christ, who said to the disciples, ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, can truly say to every group of Christian friends, ye have not chosen one another, but I have chosen you for one another. The friendship is not a reward for a discriminating good taste in finding one another out. It is the instrument by which God reveals to us, each of us, the beauties of others. I thought that was powerful, God. The people that God puts in your life, God put in your life for a reason, to see his beauty in them, to see their beauty. He knows what we need. See, I also like to think of it like this when it comes to chosen. It's like a bride and a groom, right? Imagine being that like we're like a desperate bride that so bad wants a husband. And I, you know, I see this a lot, especially as like a KC leader, women in our church. You're a desperate bride, you want so bad to have a man to have a husband. And now I want you to imagine that the perfect one comes along and chooses you. He not just chooses you, but he offers you more love in every single area at the fullest extent, biggest capacity possible. Right? And still, we enter in, but we're still kind of like this. Like, is he the right one? Right? Is he enough? Does he love me enough? And we're still grasping and playing around with other stuff, but he's offered and laid his life down. Right? That's the picture. But I want you to realize, he's chosen you, though. No matter how much you keep failing him as a bride, he's not going anywhere. There's no divorce with Jesus. He's chosen his bride forever. Jesus doesn't lose sheep. It's one of my favorite, one of my favorite things. Once he has a sheep in his flock, he doesn't lose that sheep. You may keep running. You may keep failing. He's not going anywhere. Yeah. All right, I need to get into scripture. I took way too long. All right, so 1 Corinthians 1, through 26. All right, where are my nerds at? I mean, here's what I'm going to ask you. So when you were growing up in school, in elementary school, did you guys ever remember like playing sports at recess? You guys remember like when they would like pick a team? Like you'd make captains and you'd pick a team? Now just be straight up honest with me. Which one's the ones that like were first, second, third pick? Raise your hand. Be honest. Get your hands up. Don't be, now's the time to be prideful. Okay, there's the ballers in the room. Now which y'all were like the dorks that like just couldn't get picked? Like you're like, oh no, I'm gonna be last. Raise your hand. Yes. Honesty. 
Well, listen, I'm not trying to brag, but I was usually captain. <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs> just joking. Uh, just joking. No, but my point is, here's the thing with God. See, God was not looking for the most talent when he chose people. God was looking for this. God was looking for the humble, the broken, the meek. You know who God was looking for? God was looking. He chose the people he knew would see a need for him. I'm going to say that again. He chose the people he knew would see a need for him. There's many people in this world, if you become a serious Christian and you start evangelizing and talking to people about Jesus, you're going to find that a lot of people just don't need him. The last question is like, why? Why do I need to add? What's he going to add to my life? Right? How can, I, how can my life get any better? I have a great job, a great family. And this has happened to me many times, many conversations. Right? But there's something about a Christian. When you come into revelation of who Jesus is, it breaks you. You're like, my gosh. At my core, man, I'm walking dead. You see his perfection and his beauty. And you're like, you're, I'm nowhere near that. And this perfect man died for me. I mean, I've been reading, I've read through the scriptures many times and seen stories of how Jesus moved with compassion on people. I mean, on the cross, he's hanging there. And the guy looks at him. Or actually, I'm sorry, he's hanging there. He's about to die. And all of these people that just put him on a cross and murdered him, his response is, forgive them, Father, for I know not what they, they know not what they do. That level of love is not where I'm at. It's not where I was at. And see, a Christian sees that and they're like, man, that's what I want to be. That's who I want to be. That's not who I am. He died for me. That's me that put him on that cross. You see that? That's what a Christian is, is broken and humble. We're not the ones that have it all together. We're not the ones that pretend to have it all together. And if you are, you need to stop because you're missing the point. All right. 1 Corinthians 1, through 26. I'm going to elaborate on what I just said. says this, for Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, that's us, the chosen ones, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Did you hear that? Christ crucified. Now, back in the day, you have to realize Greeks seek wisdom. They were very smart, intellectual, philosophical people. But the power of what Paul preached was Christ crucified. And now what's funny is in the world, like I said, when you go around and tell people about Jesus and you talk about how he died on a cross, some people it goes in one ear and out the other and does nothing for their heart. It moves them zero. Right? But I don't know about you all, but man, you get me in the presence of God by myself in worship, in prayer, and I think about him hanging on a cross for me, it moves you. You know what he's done for me. You know the power that is in that message, the power that I'll never fully understand and I will live the rest of my life learning about, right? That's what it is for those who are called and chosen. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Now here, I'm gonna pretend I'm reading this to you. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose... What is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. 
so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are raised in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom for God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. The Christian never boasts in himself, ever. I, don't, I'm not, I wasn't going to go here, but I have to go here. Did you guys hear about the Ravi Zacharias, though? Anybody? So Ravi Zacharias is one of my absolute mentors in the faith. He's literally, his ministry is what brought me from the business world, living a secular lifestyle, to Christianity. My absolute biggest mentor in life, his whole ministry has been destroyed in the last month. So he passed away about two months ago, and it just found out that he was on an absolute, he was living a, a double-worldly lifestyle. He got caught raping women. He got caught having multiple affairs, soliciting photos from hundreds of women. He owned massage parlors where he was basically sex trafficking. I mean, the entire world right now in Christian community is floored. Floored. Because everybody trusted in this man's flesh so much by the character that they saw on the stage, no one ever questioned him morally. And now you all wonder why I'm so passionate about the fact that we are not going to people, be a people that are not authentic. That we're going to be a people that in our cases we talk about our sins because I don't care who you are, you have them. Right? That is what we're called to. My first message in this series was called Authentic versus Imposter. We're not going to live as an imposter. Ravi was walking around having an image of himself that he was so caught up in, he couldn't get alone with people and tell them what was really going on. And what's sad about it is he lives in a faith where Jesus offers forgiveness. I believe Ravi is a sheep, but a lost sheep. God's not going to lose it. I mean, not God's not going to lose him forever. I promise you he's probably in heaven. But what he wasn't doing is living authentically in the presence of Jesus, and that's what we're called to. As a chosen child of God, that is what we're called to. Sorry, that was a whole rant. It's been a sad week for me that way. So God chose the ones who need, who saw the need for him. It's funny, as Jesus went around saying to people, he didn't just say, when Jesus went around, believe the gospel. Just believe in me. You know what he actually said? Repent and believe in me. Now, why did he say that? Because, guys, Jesus was a historical fact. There are secular historians, PhDs, that all believe Jesus existed. Jesus existed. That is a historical fact. Believing he was here is not what we're called to. What we're called to is actually believe that he's God himself in the flesh that came to die for us. What, he, what we're actually called to is see his perfection in life and realize, oh my gosh, I'm not that. I'm nowhere near that. But that's what I want. Right? So that's why he says repent and believe the gospel. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the, the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved is the power of God. So how are we to live? As I wrap this up, how are we to live as his chosen ones? Ephesians 1.4 says again, Even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, and it says this, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Does anyone in here feel blameless? Like they've done nothing wrong ever. No, but why does he say we're called to do that? See, guys, it's this. Jesus in our spirit, when we accept him, when he calls us to himself and we say yes, we are his chosen ones. In that moment, I want you to realize that through Jesus, you know how he sees you? Holy and blameless. 
your spirit, he sees as holy and blameless. Your flesh, right, the other part of you, which is also part of you, dwells no good thing, the word says. And in my flesh, he's sanctifying from glory to glory to glory. Do you see that? This is the duality that we live with in Christianity. Both our spirit man and our flesh man are us, right? But he's sanctifying the flesh. In and of itself, without Jesus, is evil, right? But he's changing it to make it good and to make it perfect and make it holy. But guess what? God's up there. You know what he chooses to look at? He chooses to see the perfection, the holiness. John 15, 16, 17, remember Jesus said this, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. And remember, this is right after, which, Becky, it's funny you said this this morning. So right before this is when Jesus is saying, the only way you can bear fruit is this, to abide in me. Just like Becky said. We're literally called as God, you did not choose me, but I chose you to appoint you that you should go bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. As God's chosen ones, we understand that he called us for a purpose on this earth to represent his glory, to represent him. And the only way we can bear fruit is not by trying really, really, really hard. It's abiding in his presence. It's taking his relationship, that relationship seriously. You know, I think about Ravi once again. I had someone, one of my favorite pastors, Beth Moore, posted this big, long thing about Ravi. And she said, there's no possible way a man of God can fall like that unless he's lost the relationship aspect of Christianity with Jesus. You'll sin in your life. You're going to mess up. But a Christian can't live in that sin when you're abiding with Jesus in relationship. It will tear you apart. You know why? Because I've tried it. It will rip you up on the inside. Eventually, you're going to move. Guys, I don't know, but you've got to take sin seriously. It is deceiving. It will kill you in so many different ways. What it just did to Ravi, what it did to Ravi's wife, what it did to his daughter is devastating. Devastating. You know what? We should, this is what, it's, what it means. It says work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You know what I'm scared of and what I hate is sin. You know where I find safety from sin? In the presence of Jesus. So I live in that spot. You know what? It's, it's funny. This happened to Ravi, and it has driven me to my word. It's driven me to prayer. It's driven me. I deleted all the social media app off my phone. I'm like, you know what? If it can take a man like that, it can take a man like me. And so my relationship. <laughs> so let me wrap this up. Colossians 3.12 says this. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones. Holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. And what I love about this scripture, and Dallas Willard really talks about this scripture, it's funny that in our flesh, right, we have to put on. Some, some translation says, clothe ourselves in kindness, compassionate hearts, humility, meekness, and patience. You know why it says put on? Because sometimes you all wake up, and that's not how you're walking, Anyone been there? It's funny. We don't live by the law. We're not justified by doing the right things, but there's something about knowing that we're called and chosen by God to reflect his image, that that effort of putting in, grace is opposed to earning. Grace is not opposed to effort. Trying to live by the law is a good thing because eventually what happens is it becomes a part of who you are. Eventually you do it naturally. It comes out of an overflow. It's not an effort. But sometimes we gotta, we gotta make the effort. 
And Lord knows some kindness is what my personality needs sometimes, if you know me. So, here's my conclusion. The reason I preach this message is I want you guys to know that you were orphans, but you have a loving father that chose you and adopted you. Yep. And listen, there's a whole lot of other orphans out there in the world right now. And God's calling all of them. And guess how, you know how he gets them to himself? You guys. You guys. You guys have been adopted. You have a father that people don't even realize what they need. They're out in the world scrambling, struggling, suffering, and you have the greatest thing you could ever offer them. You know? John 3.16. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him. So it's interesting. When I said earlier, when I started this message, different types of scripture make me feel different ways. You'll read Romans 7, or you'll read Romans 8, then you'll read um, Ephesians 1, and it makes you feel like, oh man, he he adopts me, but not everyone else. Right? And God does that. You know why God does that? To make you feel special. Because guess what? You are special. But then he goes on and says this, my will is that none should perish. Well, wait a minute. God chose me, but not others, but his will is that none should perish. God wants everyone as his chosen ones. You see that? My belief is God calls every single person to himself, but the broken and humble are the ones that choose to step into that adoption. You know? Why don't you guys stand up with me? Worship band, you guys can come. Guys, I just really want you to know today, listen, we can never assume... There's a reason the scripture says to work out your own salvation in fear and trembling. I see stuff like that happened to Ravi. I see stuff that happens to other Christians around the world. And they can get so caught up in the acts of religion that the relationship side was never there. I want you to know that God never stops calling you to himself even after you're saved. He's always calling and choosing you into a deeper relationship. He's always whispering in your ear when you're getting out of balance and starting to put other worldly things ahead of him. He's always whispering in your ear, hey, this is going to hurt you. Come back to me. And we have to take that seriously. Don't ever get comfortable with where you're at on this side of heaven. Ever. We're always working out, God, where am I putting stuff in front of you? We're always got to be acknowledging the fact that we're not spending the time we, are, we should be when, with him. We've got to be in his presence. We've got to be in prayer. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for today. I just pray right now, if there's anyone in this room that hasn't chosen you back, back, Father, that you're calling to yourself. We just pray that today they would take that step, Father God, and saying, you know what? I see my brokenness. I see my need. I repent, and I accept you, Father, as my Savior. And for the rest of us in this room, God, we know you're always drawing you, uh, us to yourself, Lord. You're always pulling our hearts back to you and trying to get us online. We know our hearts are restless until they rest in you. So God, help us to keep walking this walk, Father God. That at the end, you might look at us and say, well done, Father. Lord, we love you. And we just pray for my people and hope they have an amazing week. All God's people said, amen.